Turn with me this morning to the 18th chapter, the Gospel of Luke. There was a city, a city named Jericho. Of course, you know, you've read about Jericho. You know what happened there. That was the citadel city where Joshua stood before it. And the Lord in the pre-incarnate manifestation met him there as the captain of the Lord's host. And eventually the walls of that city fell down flat. It was a Canaanite city. But it became a city that belonged to the people of Israel. It said that Jericho was incredibly beautiful by the time the Lord walked into it. It was called a little paradise. Must have been that you could see all kinds of beautiful things in that city, all kinds of colorful things and vegetation and flowers and trees and structures. Except there were some there who couldn't see that. They were blind. And we have the record of the Lord healing the blind in the city of Jericho. It's in all the Gospels, or all the synoptics, that is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark and Luke deal with one blind man. Matthew teaches us there were two, and we don't know why that is different in those Gospels, except that it might be because Bartimaeus is one of them, named by Mark, and he must have been quite well known and probably the spokesman for the two. So there's some geographical fluctuation in these records also, slight, so that uh, John Gill even suspected there might have been three blind men, actually. So, but we don't know. That, of course, is pure speculation. But what we do know is that the Lord healed them. We do know the Lord gave them sight. We have the record in the life of Christ of his coming to Jericho and what he did in that city for these men. And so we're going to look into... Luke chapter 18, although we will make reference to Mark and Matthew as well. It's a very important passage. It has incredibly and essential applications that we must make here. Hopefully applications we already know but must be confronted with constantly, sometimes. So we read in Luke chapter 18... Beginning at verse 35. And it came to pass that as he came nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. Oh, it's a wonderful thing when he is near. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. 
And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried, So much the more. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? Can you imagine the Lord essentially saying, What do you want me to do? The implication is, I'll do it. That's incredible, isn't it? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. You know something? We have a man here who knows he's blind. He can't see. He hears that Jesus of Nazareth is near him. He pays no attention to the crowd or anybody else to what they would think. He has no pride to bring forth. But as a beggar, as it were, not simply for money to be able to buy food, but for sight. He cries, a cry that would not be silenced more than once, over and over, as we can surmise, as we read the Gospels about this. Couldn't see yet. He was blind. No light entered into his eyes. No figures before him. No forms that he could make out. No colors that he could discern. Totally blind. But we're taught here. Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. That's what brought his cry. So the fame of the Lord must have been incredibly great by this time, and it was. Many he's, he has been claimed to be the Messiah, the promised Christ though many would eventually turn from that. Yet at this time, he was very popular. His miracles of mercy were certainly spread by their reputation far and wide so that people knew about them everywhere. His, Mark says in one place, his fame spread abroad. Including that he had before opened the eyes of the blind. 
That's one of the things, by the way, in Isaiah chapter 36 that would identify him as the Messiah. Many prophetic passages, of course, fulfilled in his life, multitudes in his death and resurrection and ascension. There was a crowd that was accompanying the Lord Jesus Christ. They were on the way to keep the Passover. The Passover. The Passover at which the Lord, our Passover, would be offered. The cross was before him. And the blind men and others who, the other two, if they were two, others, there were at least two, who sat for so long begging by the wayside. They heard the noise of the crowd. There's a crowd coming through. A crowd is coming. They could hear, though they couldn't see. And at least one of them, whose name we know as Bartimaeus from Mark chapter 10, he asked, as in our passage in Luke, what it meant. I saw this crowd coming by. What, what's the noise that we hear? We hear certain things that we, we don't know what it is. We can't see. We can only hear. What is it? Who answered? Whoever it was, instead of telling why the procession was coming through Jericho because it was going to Jerusalem for the Passover. They simply told them, Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. He's close to you. He's here. He's walking by. Well, we can't but help, I think, imagine that in some way he must have thought, he's here. The one I've heard about is here. The one who has been acclaimed to be the Messiah is here. He's in Jericho. The one who's opened blind eyes is walking through Jericho. He is near me. He's shown great mercy to others. He has the power to open my eyes. Here, close to them. What he has done for others. They are convinced by faith he can do it for them. They know what they need. They know the condition they are in. He may not pass by this way again. He may not come back through Jericho at any other time. He is here now. Nothing else matters. He must hear our cry now. 
Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. The cry is not the surprise, the cry for mercy, but their knowledge, their belief that he is the son of David. That's the title that was given to the Messiah. Appealing to the royal heart of the king of Israel, the Messiah that was promised to come through David's line. Doesn't mean they had full knowledge of who he was. Doesn't mean they comprehended what it meant for him to be the son of God. But they believe him to be more than what many had <coughs> declared him to be in Israel. As we learn, of course, at Caesarea Philippi when the Lord asked his apostles, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? For Peter confessed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But there were many who thought, Well, this must be Elijah who has come back. Or this must be Jeremiah. Or this must be one of those old covenant prophets now that's come and reappeared. But these blind ones, this one we're looking at in Luke 18, knew, believed that he was the son of David, the promised Messiah, the one the scriptures had taught of old over and over and prophesied of coming. They believed he was the Christ. However they heard of this, they believed what they heard of him. They addressed him by the highest titles they knew. At one place they called him Jesus. At another place they called him Lord and son of David. You see, they made use of the knowledge they had. They made use of what they knew already. They entertained no doubt, but that he could open their blind eyes. And from the Lord's own principle, we believe they would in time come to know him in even greater measure as not simply and only the son of David, but the son of God. There's a principle the Lord gave. Take heed what you hear. For with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. You know why don't many don't receive more from the word of God? Why they don't increase in the knowledge and find it their greatest treasure? They're carried away by everything else. Take more time to the television. And then read ten minutes in the scripture and expect to receive something. They have their hearts other places on other things. There are few who know the Lord and love his word in truth. Find it to be a far greater treasure than all the treasures of Egypt. 
And these make use. They made use of what they had. They gave heed. They took heed. They believed. More was given. More true riches of knowledge and understanding became theirs. Beggars they had been. Rich men they would become. Not in maybe the things of this world, but in the eternal riches that matter most. This man in Luke 18 was blind. Bartimaeus was blind. This is likely Bartimaeus here. The other man was blind. They knew their great need. They believed firmly to a calling on him that would not quit until they knew that he heard them. That's some kind of faith. They weren't going to give up. They weren't going to say, oh, he didn't hear us. I mean, you read, and you, if you read, study these three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, obvious it wasn't simply twice they kept kept crying to him they weren't gonna let him pass by them they kept crying until he heard them he's the only one who could help them nobody else no doctor could open their eyes. It would not happen in any way naturally. He's opened the blinded eyes of others. He can open our eyes. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Pride played no part in it. You know what? The case is even sadder that those who are blind spiritually don't know it, don't perceive their great need. That's the worst blindness of all. Spiritual blindness is far, far worse than physical blindness. Physical blindness, bad enough. We don't want to go blind. We love to see the sun, the grass, the stars, our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the beauties of God's creation. But there's no beauty like the Lord himself. Blinded eyes cannot behold his beauty. Spiritually blinded eyes cannot comprehend the glories of the Son of God. That's why other things take precedence over him. And the things that should belong to him and be first. 
The one who's spiritually blind and does not know their need, that's the saddest case there is. We learn that from the case of the blind man that was healed by the Lord in John chapter 9. You remember that? And they judged harshly the Lord Jesus for healing him on the Sabbath, for opening his eyes on the Sabbath. Remember, the man's parents were afraid to confess that Jesus was the Christ, that he had opened the eyes of their son. And he told essentially the Pharisees that they were blind, but not in the same way. They claimed to see, but they were blind. They had the worst blindness of all. Until this blindness of heart is removed. Until it is removed. The awful fatal disease of sin lurks. Until that is known and recognized. There's not going to be the true crying out for mercy from Christ. the Son of God. Until in that cry there's the promised believed that he hears and will save with the greatest assurance that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. The great assurance that if we come unto him, he will give us rest. Those who accompanied the Lord, obviously knowing very little of him, were annoyed. They were annoyed at the desperate cry of these blind beggars. So they tried to silence them. Verse 39 says they rebuked him. That he should hold his peace. But he cried the more. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. But instead, you see, of him being silenced by their cry, his cry obviously was even increased. Crying the more. Which means it was more than that two times we have in our record here. They kept crying. Bartimaeus, at least, who appears to have been the spokesman for them, kept crying. They would not be shamed into ceasing to call upon the Lord. 
You see, there was no deterrence of pride. That's what happens many times. Pride prevents us from doing that which we fear somebody will think is bad or degrade us for. Well, they didn't have that. Human pride played absolutely no part in what they were doing in their cries. These were desperately needy men. They were blind. They were beggars. They had to beg for their bread. Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. He's close to them. He's near them. He's the son of David. He's already opened blind eyes. Have mercy on me. They cried the more, the scripture says. Mark 10 records that Bartimaeus, the one who obviously took the lead, cried the more a great deal, implying it was fervent. It was intense. It was continuous. He didn't stop. They could not physically see him. They didn't know his position exactly where he was but they weren't going to quit trying until they knew he heard them you know the scriptures are full of illustrations if you please of fervent prayer intense prayer overcoming prayer that God hears that he's quite pleased with. Problem with us too many times, we like our ease in the world. We don't want to give ourselves to what it costs to seek God in truth and fervently and continuously. We know what to do, but we don't do it. I read of Jacob in the Old Testament. His brother Esau had determined to kill him. The last thing he heard 20 years before he would meet him. He's scared for his family. He puts them across the river because he's heard Esau is coming. Last thing he knew, he was going to kill him. That's what his purpose was. All alone. That's a pretty good place to be sometimes, just all alone. Jacob was left alone. Wow. Family put away for safety. Esau, as far as he knew, pursuing him. He is alone. 
and there wrestled with him a man until the breaking of the day. That man was the Lord. Let me go, he says. Jacob knows who he is. I will not let thee go until thou hast blessed me. Do we see that kind of praying in our day much? Do we? Or does the world and its things and its pressures and its treasures and the things we want from it take our hearts? What takes your heart and mine? These men didn't have the ease and treasures and riches and pleasures to settle down in this world and make it the place of their real desires. They were desperately needy. They were desperately needy. You read other places... Remember the Syrophoenician woman? The Lord seemed as if he was saying, you know, you're, you're among the Gentile dogs. <laughs> Didn't answer at first, remember? Did she give up? No. No, she didn't give up. She was not offended. The Lord of the little dogs eats crumbs, fall from the children's table. The Lord said, I can't take the children's bread and give it to dogs. She, as it were, grabbed his heart. Oh, woman, great is thy faith. Here's a blank check. What do you want? What do you want? Do we have that kind of perseverance? Remember the parable of the widow woman in this Gospel of Luke? Matter of fact, in this chapter. She had a just cause. She went before an unjust judge. He wasn't going to be bothered. She gave up. No, she kept coming. She kept coming. She kept coming until she wearied this judge. But you're not going to weary God by keeping to come and crying to him. But the Lord implies, will there be faith on the earth when he comes? That's there too. Isn't that an incredible statement? There's going to be this kind of real faith when he comes. What a piercing question. That's one of the most piercing questions I've ever read. These blind beggars believed. They didn't entertain doubt. Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Messiah. He is the son of David. The royal blood is in his veins. 
He is the king of Israel. And he can do what we want him to do. They wouldn't stop their crying. They wouldn't quit until they got what they desperately sought from him. Should remind us that God clearly made known and his word has made known that there's one thing that pleases him. And one thing that without which everything else you can have but you don't have this one thing you can't please what is it without what without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Isn't that what these blind men were doing? Isn't that what the Syrophoenician woman was doing? Isn't that what is implied in the woman, the widow woman of this very chapter was doing? Where is that kind of faith? Isn't that what Jacob of old was doing? They believed. And because they believed, they wouldn't quit. They wouldn't stop. If one thing is clear, clear in the word of God, if one thing is clear, it that where there is true faith, it will not be stopped by opposition it will not be stopped by trial and difficult things faced it can be purged by that but it won't be stopped by it another thing clear is that where there is truly the prayer of faith it will be heard Say, but preacher, we believe God is an absolute sovereign. We sure do. We believe that salvation is all of God, not of man and his fallen will. We sure do. God is an absolute sovereign. He, as we're taught in Ephesians 1.11, worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And just as much as we read in places like John chapter 4 that he, the Lord Jesus, must needs go through Samaria, it was purposed for him to do so. It was purposed for him to be at Jericho that day, that time, in the vicinity and close to those blind men. But the only thing they knew is that they were blind. They were blind. 
I doubt they could formulate you the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Do you? I don't think they knew it. I don't think they could formulate that kind of doctrine. But they knew one thing. The one who could open their eyes was near them. He's near. He's near. He's near. He's here as well. Now. If in any way possible. I use the word. You discern that the Lord Jesus is near you. Close to you. You know that he is the savior of sinners. And you're a sinner. You're a hell-deserving sinner. You're a wrath-deserving sinner. You absolutely merit nothing whatsoever good from God because you transgressed against him and walked in your own ways. And we're unthankful in your life and your living. Are you a sinner? I wonder if some have been under my ministry 50 years and never comprehended what it is. Are you a sinner? Well, he came to save sinners. Then don't give him any rest whatsoever until you know and act upon what you're called to do until you rest in him and rest in him alone. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Come unto me. All ye that are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Call upon him while he is near. That day, that day at Jericho, that day in the city that had been the citadel city of the Canaanite, now belonging to the Jewish nation, now beautiful, a little paradise it was called. Some would see the beauties they'd never seen before.
because there was a heart of mercy that heard their cry. The Lord is merciful. Incredibly merciful to those who know their need and cry unto him. Though the Lord Jesus was quickly moving toward the greatest work ever to be done, the greatest suffering ever to be experienced, the greatest grief ever to be borne, the greatest pressure ever felt, and a dread heavier than any else could bear laying upon him. Though soon, in human weakness, he would bear a cross. Though soon, he would submit to the powers of darkness, essentially saying, do your worst. This is your hour. The cry of the beggar in our passage could not be stopped. But it stopped the Lord Jesus. He stood still. He who walked with the crowd being walking along with them heard the cry Jesus Lord thou son of David have mercy on me there was great need and he heard it they knew it Jesus stood still Stood still. Lord, come along our way and stand still. Don't keep moving. With the Lord, there was no, I don't have the time. I'm going to do the most important work ever to done. I, I've got to go because I've, I've got this, I've got to take care of. No, that wasn't there. You just don't know how pressed I am. Nope, wasn't his attitude. Don't you realize how important it is, the work that I'm heading to do, and I can't stop? Nope. There's one thing. To feel human pity. We can do that. We can do that. We have misery in this world. There are people that sit and weep in movies and real things in the world they never shed a tear about. <clears throat> but 
It's one thing to feel human pity. Oh, we're willing to give our money to help them. While we live in relative comfort and plenty, it's quite another thing to be extremely hurting yourself, to be in trouble yourself, not even mention it. The Lord didn't mention anything about what he was doing to them. And put another's needs above yourself and take care of and help them personally. That's the biblical love Daniel was talking about this morning. We've gotten too comfortable. Loved our ease too much, our pleasures, our entertainments. Not so the Lord. Say, preacher, this is not an easy message. It's not supposed to be. You see, it was the heart of Christ. Though he would suffer more than any ever, not to even mention it to them. Oh, man, and their self-pity. Don't you know how much I'm hurting? We who must still fight with sin and selfishness find it difficult to, to truly take in that the Son of God, who became the Son of Man, he who was without sin was truly and totally self-denied. He put our desperate need above any pain that he must suffer. He came not to be ministered to, but to minister. And to give his life a ransom for many. Oh, the powerful lessons here. Powerful lessons. The Lord invites these blind beggars, this one in Luke 18, we know there are at least two, another one with him. These who had been dependent upon the charity of others to survive. No doubt they must have been despised as surely the very lowest of the class of people and, you know, they're sinners. That's what the Pharisee would say. They're sinners by their judgmental righteous standards. That must be why they're blind and so we're not going to help them. And, you know... Uh, They were despised, obviously. You know what he says to these despised ones who had no pride to bring? No barrier of pride 
where they're crying out as beggars to the Lord. You ever been there? You ever cried to him as a beggar? As a sinner desperately in need of him and his salvation? Hmm. He bids them ask whatever they will. What is it you want? What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? What wilt thou? What is it you want? Without eloquence, For great need only has a simple voice. The prayer, no doubt with hope that more calmly cries to him because he said, what do you want me to do? Repeats the same unending question. Lord, that our eyes may be opened. The answer comes not with words, not with formality, not requiring anything that they have to do, but out of a heart of compassion, mercy, hand stretches forth and lovingly touches them. They immediately see. The eyes are opened. So it is when the Lord Jesus calls, when his voice is heard. He is near. He is near. And he calls, come unto me. Not simply to religion, not simply to Bible study, not simply to things you think are religiously to be done. Come unto me. When his cross is seen as the only place where your sins can end. He doesn't say, well, you just have to add your works. Nope, doesn't say that. You have to bring forth some merit. Nope, he doesn't say that. Rather, don't bring anything. You have nothing. You don't have anything to bring. Except a sinner. But only cry for your greatest need. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Then we can sing from the heart. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow.
Then we can further sing. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. But then finally, let's consider the result of their opened eyes. What must have been the first sight when light entered those eyes that had been completely dark? What, if, what was it that must have been the first thing they saw? When the wonder of seeing itself was first experienced by them. Can you imagine? Now there was the ability to see God's creation. It was not the wonders of creation. It was the creator. who had humbled himself, who was on the way to become the Passover for the many for whom he would give his life. We can't imagine what it must have been like for their opened eyes to gaze into his. Can you imagine? And we who have had our spiritual eyes opened to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, to see by faith the glory of the cross, we shall yet see him as he is. The greatest sight to come, not going to be those glorious new heavens and earth. We can't imagine what that's going to be. Surely it will far excel... <laughs> Eden. But look into the face of perfect love. And know that we shall forever be with him. Never. What do we have to say? Like those Emmaus disciples in Luke 24. Lord, abide with us. We constrain you to do so. You know, that word is so strong. In the, in the Greek, it means to constrain by force. <laughs> uh, they don't want him to leave. We'll never have to do that in eternity. That would be a wonderful thing. It's wonderful now to look into the face out of the call that calls, look unto me and be ye saved. How much more glorious shall it be to look into his face when all sin, suffering, pain, disappointments are forever over. The final result now is as the Lord said in Chapter, verse 42, thy faith hath saved thee. Not simply thy sight, thy faith. And they followed him. 
This is the result of all whose eyes are truly opened to behold him, to see him as the one sacrifice for sin who gave his own life to ransom, ransom us. We who were enslaved to sin, selfishness, and self-will. When our eyes are opened in this way, we don't turn again to our own ways. We want and seek to walk in His. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. God have mercy on us.